Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Ages of Hope podcast. Uh, my name is Tim Cox. I'm a third year trainee uh, educator psychologist who's studying currently at Newcastle University. And today I'm really excited to have Mark Adams, who's going to come and talk to us about his passion for coaching psychology. Um, so I'd like to say to you, Mark, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about who is Mark Adams? Thanks, Tim, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I've enjoyed listening to the previous episodes, and I, I like the I like the thread that's running through them about how um, we are agents of hope as educational psychologists, and the the different ways that manifests for for different people. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of resonance between the the central theme of the podcast and my own particular passion, which is coaching psychology. And it will be useful to explore the explore the crossovers between those two, certainly. Um, but in terms of who is Mark Adams, I've been an educational psychologist since two thousand and three, <coughs> um, having done the masters at Bristol in two thousand and two two thousand and three. Um, I started off as a local authority educational psychologist, uh, but since 2013, uh, I've worked as an independent EP, um, as the director of what is currently known as Adams Psychology Services Limited, which is a name I say with great discomfort. Um, uh, I, I just want to say for the record, no one I imagine likes that name less than I do. Um, it was a name that uh, that worked well when it was just me on my bike going around Bristol. Yeah. Um, but as the team has grown, uh, it no longer reflects the fact that we're a team. Uh, it doesn't communicate the right messages to me. I want to change it. The team are on board with changing it. Okay. It will change. So I just needed to say I just needed to say that because that's important. The name will change soon. Um, a- APS. which is what we refer to it as at the moment. It provides a combination of educational psychology and coaching psychology services. And I'll say more about coaching psychology later in the podcast. But the the core principle that runs through um, hopefully everything we do is um, psychology for positive change. So um, that means how can we apply psychology to support others to make positive changes? Mm -hmm. And how can we share psychology with others so that it helps them to support themselves or others. Mm. So, who who who, are the, who is the client base? Is it, is it schools and young people and families, or does it? I'm imagining expands a bit further than that. Uh, our clients are predominantly schools. We do do some work with parents as well, and mm. with the coaching psychology work, which involves training others in coaching skills. Um, okay. Our our clients have been a number of local authority educational psychology services okay. and uh, independent EP services throughout the country. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so. We're kind of we're circling co- coaching psychology. It's come up quite a bit so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've read your article from 2016 about it in in, in EPIP. Yeah. And um, I've read some of the uh, the blog posts you did for the edside.co.uk. Yeah. Um, so can you just tell people who don't know what it is and who aren't entirely who might have an idea but aren't entirely clear what is coaching psychology? Okay. Um, so I think what it would make sense to do, first of all, is just start off with what coaching is 
first yes. of all. Yeah, that would be really helpful. And then after that, I can just elaborate on one more coaching psychology is. So um, there are various definitions of coaching out there. If we if we look at the definition from the Association for Coaching, for example, um, which is quite it's quite laboured, but um, the, the elements of it are quite helpful in getting a sense of what it is. Okay. Um, it's a structured, systematic, goal-oriented way of working with uh, another person in which you facilitate the enhancement of their performance, learning, development and or well-being. So um, it more concisely summarised by Miles Downey as the art of facilitating the performance, learning, development of another person. Um, okay. Downey doesn't mention well-being, but well-being can be a crucial part of it. Okay. So, so coaching is um, forming a relationship with someone else to support them to make positive changes in their performance, development and well-being. Mm. Coaching psychology is basically doing that, but informed by established evidence-based psychological approaches such as solution focused um cognitive behavioral coaching motivational interviewing Mm -hmm. um acceptance and commitment (laughs) therapy it's bringing those psychological approaches to bear on supporting Mm -hmm. the performance development and well-being of what we might say are everyday people on everyday issues okay so to, to, to bring that to life a little bit, an example of a piece of work I've done is using um, psychology-informed coaching approaches to support, uh, support, support a teacher who was experiencing anxiety about speaking in public. Um, and so we defined, clarified a coaching relationship. And through that, I used cognitive, behavioral and solution-focused approaches to support that person in understanding more about their anxiety about speaking in public, what the what the root of that was, how they might be able to um, how they might be able to challenge some of the beliefs that were contributing to that, and then helping them feel more comfortable in speaking in different contexts. Okay, yeah, that that's that's been a really helpful and concise summary, and I think. Um, <clears throat> helps me to understand that, that I guess there's, there's two parts of your 2016 article which talk about that there's, there's the process so there's a structured systematic process yes which is um, indicative of all coaching I guess um, and then there's the applying psychology to that so that, yeah that's been helpful so what are the, so it's I think it says there's like five stages to to coaching uh, in that paper, there are there are um, uh, five stages in the, if you like, the the model example I've provided. So okay. you start off with some contracting at the beginning to make sure you're on the same page in terms of the goals that are being worked towards, um, yeah. that you both have a shared understanding of what the relationship is. And I think that's really key because it it, it helps with buy-in and it helps with mm. um, the 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 formation of that collaborative relationship, that collaborative alliance that's so crucial. And I think that has a there's a I was thinking of this a lot when I was listening to your podcast with Naomi and how she was talking yeah. about co-production and yeah. I was it was just ringing all sorts of bells for me that yeah well coaching yeah. is a great example of, of co-production in action in that we we very much work with rather than do to we try to yeah. understand what people want to get from the relationship and align our ways of working to help them move towards the goals that they want to achieve mm-hmm. either in relation to their performance their development or their well-being as, mm-hmm. as as is relevant 
Um, so yeah, there's a contracting phase, and then a, a coaching engagement could have any number of sessions. Sometimes um, we've done termly sessions with uh, with people over the year, where there's it's sort of a regular pit stop where they can check in about their well-being or do any problem solving about day-to-day issues they're experiencing. Sometimes coaching engagements can be more discreet. So, um, for example, uh, I've worked with teachers to support them in uh, improving, say, their behaviour management skills in a particular way or improving aspects of what they're doing to to teach in the classroom. Okay. And okay. then the engagement can be shorter. You, you go in and do an observation and then support the person to reflect on what's yeah. going well, how can they build on that. A couple of weeks later, you might go back and then do a review and then an evaluation at the end to see if the engagement has led to the desired changes. Okay. Okay. I mean, that, that, that sounds, that's resonating a lot with, I guess, a lot of the kind of approaches that certainly I feel that I take um, in my day-to-day practice. Yes. Just wind this a little bit back because we've kind of got an understanding of what coaching psychology might um, be on paper and a little bit in practice. Yeah. How have you come to coaching psychology? Because I've kind of heard from Amelia last week um, when she was talking about how she came to understanding polyvagal theory and, and its application and meaning in her life and then applying it outwards and Jagdish had a similar kind of story about acculturation. Is, do you have a story like that, or is it just a, a kind of really good idea? No. <laughs> well, um, no, there is a story to it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it's quite ironic in a way that this is my focus now, because when, um, when I first fell in love with psychology, when I was, um, when I was studying at, at A-level, I was mm-hmm. fascinated by what at the time was called abnormal psychology and, mm-hmm. you know, and what goes wrong with people. Um, and I think the silence of the lambs had a lot to do with that at the, okay. at the time. Um, but then through my degree, um, I began to explore other aspects of psychology and then eventually um, coming out of my psychology degree, the answer to the question, what sort of psychologist do I want to be, was that I wanted to be an educational psychologist and mm-hmm. make a positive difference in education for young people. Um so that meant then, at the time, it meant being a teacher first. So I went off to be a teacher in South East London and um, really loved that job, really loved the opportunity to make a difference to, to young people and the relationships that I was able to build with young people. But at the same time, um, I didn't you know, lose my desire to be an EP because I was conscious that I, I wanted to have a broader impact than, than, than just in my own classroom. Um, so then I applied to be an EP at various places and got uh, um, got a place at Bristol uh, to do the Masters. And Bristol at the time, and I dare say still is, had a very strong focus on Patsy Wagner's consultation model. Yeah. Um, and I really liked the the Wagner approach, um, uh, how it how we could make a difference by working at one remove how we could form a helping relationship with someone to support them with problem solving rather than sort of taking a young person out, working with them directly and trying to fix them as such. Yeah. 
Um, and I was quite inform, uh, informed and inspired by the work of Edgar Schein and how to make helping relationships work effectively. Um, so, I, and also solution focused as well. I was there were various themes that were resonating with me strongly, and that I I, I really enjoyed exploring. Um, so, I had this interest in you know how we form helping relationships with others, how we help them solve problems, how we help them use their strengths. Um, I got my first job as a as an EP in Wiltshire and stayed there for about 18 months and then a, a job came up in Bristol um which was perfect because my uh, my wife was um pregnant and that it meant less travel for me so I applied to Bristol and Bristol had uh, Bristol local authority at the time had within it uh, a specialist service um, of psychologists and teachers that provided coaching to okay. to school practitioners to support them in developing behaviour management skills. Mm. Um, and after a few months of working in Bristol, a secondment to that service came up, um, and uh, I, I got that opportunity. Um, and so was then going around schools in Bristol providing coaching to to help people improve their behavior management skills and i i fell in love with it from there really because i noticed the value of it for for providing people with really positive solution focused support it felt like a real antidote to um a lot of the judgment and evaluation and criticality that can be encountered in education and what teachers can be subjected to either from uh, uh from government pressures or um or, uh, internal performance management systems um so it was a, a really positive thing to be doing with people mm. seeing the difference it made to them and also it became very apparent that it was such a clear vehicle for the application of psychology yeah um uh, there were various things that i was doing as an ep um that uh that varied in terms of the extent to which I felt like I was an applied psychologist. There okay. were some there were some things that felt a bit more uh, a bit more bureaucratic, say, and there yeah. were some things that felt more like right. I'm an actual applied practitioner here. I'm drawing upon Rogers. I'm drawing upon DeShazer. I'm drawing upon Ellison Beck, and I'm helping this person. Um, make some positive changes in their practice and that's not just going to benefit one one or two children that's going to benefit all of those children that that teacher comes into contact with and if you keep doing that over various contexts then you can see the the ripple effect of the difference that we can make uh, is potentially quite significant Yes. So yeah, that yeah. that that was the, that was what really lit the fire for, uh, um, for me about coaching. And then over time, we we became um, uh, more more diverse in what we coached about. It wasn't just behaviour management. It moved on to things like motivation, well being, coaching for leadership, etc. And uh, so that and that was where it became clear to me. Yeah, this is this is my specialism. This is my passion. This is okay. this is what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really, uh, yeah, it's been really helpful to kind of follow you from that kind of A-level interest in abnormal psychology and then through kind of further study and, and the application of psychology, it kind of flipped towards something that's more helpful. Much more hope, uh, much more hopeful, much more positive, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, kind of moving forward to through opportunities that you've got through um, EP practice, which just came up from where you were. 
what I'm really interested in talking about now is how does coaching psychology apply to educational psychology and how can we use it with the, the client base that we <coughs> sorry excuse me <coughs> work with so what are the, what is it an overlap or is it two distinct things okay um so let me start just by talking about the actual um the actual sort of formal body of coaching psychology first of all so um coaching psychology formally uh, arrived in this country if you like with um the formation of the special group of coaching psychology within the B okay. within the british psychological society in 2004 um now that is a special group it's not a division in itself so unlike it's not a division like educational or clinical or occupational psychology so you can't just set out to qualify as a coaching psychologist you need to become a um you need to become a, a qualified psychologist in one of the other BPS divisions and then go on to do some some further training, supervised practice, etc. So it's a, it's a cross-divisional discipline and I think that is one of the things that I, I find really um, enriching and valuable about it that you know when you go to the special group in coaching psychology conference you're you're mixing with psychologists from from other professions and um, there's a real cross-fertilization of of ideas and learning um so it while it's a, a special group within the bps it's not it's not actually its own distinct profession so any um any division of psychology could have practitioners who are also describing themselves as coaching psychologists okay. or or making use of coaching psychology in their work um so, for example, in educational psychology, um, we might use coaching to support young people, say, either individually or in groups. Um, we might use coaching and coaching psychology to support classroom teachers to develop aspects of their practice. So behaviour management skills, teaching and learning, whatever it is that that provides them with a more tailored CPD experience than they might get going off to a to a course. We can come in and watch them in the classroom and talk about what's actually going on in their environment. Um, it can support professional reflection on practice, so uh, a more non-judgmental um, opportunity to to be observed and, ref and, and reflect on, on one's teaching. Um, we can provide coaching for um, staff or leaders on a termly basis to support um, performance development and well-being so that they get a regular a regular pit stop to check in about their um, their um, their well-being, about day-to-day -day issues that they might want to problem solve, so, that, so they they get an opportunity, a, a vehicle to explore that stuff. Um, we can do specific short-term coaching engagements in relation to aspects of performance. Um, we could also train people in coaching skills and principles to develop their proficiency at then mm. being of help to the young people that they work with. Um, also that they can provide support to each other in schools uh, more effectively. And I, I know that some people have trained young people in coaching skills as well. Okay. So so that they can um, be uh, be coaches, stroke mentors to each other. Um, but there's also some evidence that doing that um, supports them more broadly and uh, enhances their, say, communication skills, listening skills, 
and leaves them with skills for life that they can that uh, that they can go into the world with. So th- those are that's a number of examples of how um, coaching psychology might be used with our our client groups, for example, and to to achieve some of the aims that we're trying to achieve through through the mm. through educational psychology. Mm. And, and, and what strikes me about that is um, you're not just just talking about working with school leaders or special educational needs coordinators you're talking about class teachers yes and, and their impact and and their potential really yes uh, and i think that's something that i'm trying to kind of um work on with the relationship that i've established as a trainee with some of my senkos and head teachers it's like i i can also do this sort of work yes have these sort of conversations yes with class teachers over time and I've, I've tried to kind of pivot into that this year by doing things like the working on what works um intervention which is a sort of kind of coaching of um i mean they do call the observers coaches um so i don't know if that's steeped in the same sort of psychology um but it's kind of a solution focused way of looking at things but having a coach who comes in and gives positive feedback about what's going well yeah. uh, around a goal to to the teacher and the, and the pupils. Yeah, and this is the this is another thing that for me is exciting about coaching is that it potentially extends the reach of applied applied psychology. Mm. Um, one of the things that I'm sure you will have found and uh, others in the profession will find is that. Um, Sometimes clients' perceptions of what we as educational psychologists do or can do can be narrower than we would like. And um, I think coaching is a vehicle for us to have a much broader impact in education in a way that, in a way that impacts on ultimately more young people. And that, for me, is one of the, one of the reasons why I also call myself a coaching psychologist, um, because it offers that sense of providing something perhaps different to the the things that you might usually expect and enables a conversation to be had about you know what that means and who that can be applied with mm-hmm. i mean that's completely optional of course no, no yeah. a, a, a psychologist could practice coaching without actually calling themselves a coaching psychologist but for me there is uh, there is some value in um in the use of that term so a, a practical thing then how long does coaching take i know that's very practical but just in terms of organizing time and an individual uh, session do you mean or an engagement an engagement over so if you were going to um be enter a contract a coaching relationship with a class teacher yeah uh, what would that involve okay so it would involve as mentioned earlier a, a contracting exchange to sort out what the purpose of the engagement is um now sometimes that could be done over email or telephone um sometimes it's best for that to be done around a table with um with the with the person who's going to be the participant in coaching and the commissioner of coaching if it's being commissioned by uh, a department leader or a, or a head teacher for example it can be useful to make sure everybody's on the same page about what it's going to be about and that can take that can take about an hour um, then a coaching session itself would be um, again 45 minutes to an hour 
um, and however many of those are needed for the particular engagement sometimes if uh, if it's about particular classroom um, aspects of classroom practice then it may also involve observation as well and um, so that would extend the amount of time taken so you know a, a two-hour visit and then there would be um, following the subsequent sessions there would then be an opportunity to review and evaluate so another an, another hour at the end say that's of a short-term coaching mm -hmm. engagement if you've got termly coaching for performance and well-being then that's six hours per practitioner over the over the year Okay, okay. So, uh, it, I, I guess that leads me to to another question: um, is that is when we were talking on Twitter about how what questions might come up from the Twitter community or from the Facebook community? Yes, to talk about like what's the difference between consultation and and coaching psychology. And I get when I was writing my notes for the um, podcast, I was like, right, is this an intervention? Is this is this consultate a, a type of consultation or is this an approach? Okay, okay. So um, if we think about first of all what consultation is. Mm. So consultation is um, a process of collaborative work and dialogue to support a person in the pursuit of a, de a desired outcome. So all mm. personal team in the pursuit of a desired outcome. Um, coaching is specifically doing that but explicitly about that person's performance development and well-being. So you could it, you could say that um, it, it, it's a it's a form of consultation, if you like, but specifically mm. focused on that person's performance development and well-being. Yeah. Um, but and and while there are a number of similarities, certainly in terms of the the core skills used. So you know the the range of our skills from from listening through questioning to giving feedback etc there's commonality in that respect there's commonality in the psychology applied so you know solution focused is solution focused whether we're doing consultation or coaching cognitive behavioral mm -hmm. the same what we're trying to achieve so helping people feel more confident helping people set small step goals similarities in that respect even some of the specific structures we might use for structuring conversations are very similar um but the as i say the difference for me is that coaching is explicitly from the beginning focused on that person's performance development and well-being and um is aligned to what they want to get from the engagement mm -hmm. so for example um i uh, coached an executive principal um, about a, a, a number of things, but one of the one of the things that came up in that relationship was um, that person's confidence in holding others to account. Okay. Um, now, what I wasn't providing in that in that relationship was any sort of mentoring type um expertise i hadn't been in that position before at the time that i coached this person uh, so i wasn't drawing on um uh, my own ideas and experience as such i was purely using my my helping skills to to help him to move towards that goal so um it was talking about his performance development and well-being i wasn't bringing you know recommendations as such as to what he might do so there was less information give than one might typically mm. find in in consultation in ep practice that very much depends on the individual practitioner's orientation and preferences of course yeah but but for me that is a difference 
So I would say that um, there's a difference in focus. Coaching's about that perform person's performance development and well-being, whereas in consultation, I find I'm usually talking about a child or talking about a, a systemic issue in a school. But then the skills and processes that we draw upon are are very similar. Yeah. So it sounds like you could have a consultation about a child and then coach people around that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As, as part of the intervention. Yeah, absolutely. It, it can go both ways. So you could be having a consultation about a child uh, uh, with the range of stakeholders around the table and it may come out, oh, would it be helpful for such and such to have some coaching about about mm. this particular theme um, as, as part of the intervention plan? Or it can go the other way around. Sometimes I've had coaching conversations with people and they start talking about, say, uh, um, uh, an individual child. And that, at that point, uh, I might say, well, it sounds like it might be more appropriate for that to be a more formal EP consultation where we get get parental consent. And then the, 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 there are other processes that we would go through. So, yeah, there can be they, they can feed into each other in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of ringing bells in my head about the the similarity the, the similarities but the key difference between that and supervision um in terms of like this is goal oriented and contracted over a number of sessions rather than you just have the time set aside for supervision you bring what you bring so it, there could be elements of supervision which are like coaching yes like coaching relationship is actually something distinct from that yeah and i would say that point you've just made has validity but i would say there's also a um, it's not absolute in that sense either because some of the some of the termly coaching we've done um when we uh, turn up on a six times a year basis uh, we do email people in advance to say think about the goals you want to achieve but sometimes you know for, for with the best one in the world they don't have time to do that so or, or they or, or they don't do that prior to the session so then they come and it's a more open exploration and then we might sort of try and funnel down to some particular goals within the session mm. i suppose for me one of the key differences between um coaching and supervision say is uh, again i'll use i'll use the coaching example of when i worked with that executive principal about holding others to account so i was just purely using my um, my helping skills, my uh, my um, uh, questioning, reframing, solution focus, etc. Those skills to help that person, and I wasn't bringing any um, sort of formal knowledge that that I could impart to him to try and steer him down this path. Whereas when I've provided um, a teaching practitioner with supervision in relation to their coaching skills I am still using all of that all of those generic skills but what I'm also bringing is some experience of having been a coach and um, having sort of steered my way through some of the some of the challenges they might have been encountering previously and I'm also bringing uh, in that in that relationship knowledge of some of the ethical frameworks that guide our practice. So um, I, I might be uh, having to signpost, um, for example, or I'm, I'm not sure that counts as informed consent. You might want to make sure that you're uh, tightening up that aspect of your practice, if you will. Um, and then supervision tends to be more of a sort of structured reflection on cases as opposed to these are the goals I want to achieve and and uh, I'd like to discuss how I'm going to move towards them. Mm. So again, these 
um, these are all simplifications and it, it, it it's perhaps uh, there's perhaps a lot more overlap than than I'm articulating there it's probably best to think in terms of Venn diagrams rather than yeah. sep separate boxes yeah. but, though, but those hopefully help to shine a light on some of the differences yeah I mean it seems to like the Venn diagram would be uh, coach supervisor mentor and um, consultant we could add to that and, and consultant yeah 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 um and those are all, all skills that i guess that you can pivot between um using applied psychology yes yeah um, absolutely yeah. they're all yeah they're all vehicles for applied psychology yeah, yeah. i guess one of the key um one of the key things about offering explicit coaching though is that um from the from the client's perspective they um, can be sent information in advance that you know what coaching is. This is this is what it is. This is what it isn't. This is what I'll be doing. This is what I won't be doing. This is going to be about your performance development and well-being. Mm. Are there things that you would like to achieve in that respect? And and there's very much an opportunity for them to to um, to shape what the engagement is about and to to try and get their buy-in in that sense. So yeah. um, it may make a difference to the client if it's called coaching rather than rather than something else perhaps yeah yeah uh, absolutely and I think perhaps to some clients that would be more accessible um, way of thinking about it and accessibility I guess is a is, is a core thread of the, the the podcast it's like how do we I guess to an extent market what we do and help people understand what we can do and how our skills um, can be helpful yes something that um, you you um, cited Murphy and Duncan 2007 yes 2016 um, paper and I found that really interesting because you say that um, it, it breaks it down um, about what factors are important um, in coaching relationships so it's like client factors 40% relationship fa factors 30% expectations or perceiver effects 15% and models yes. and techniques 15% yes and Although sometimes numbers can sit uncomfortably with me, um, and that's been true from GCSE maths to now, um, <laughs> it, it does. It, it is really enlightening, and it's something that's come across in all the podcasts so uh, so far. Is that we've talked about you know, what is it we're working with clients about? What's the, how is the relationship important? What are they expecting, and what psychology we bring into that? And breaking it down in that way helps you really think about you know what is the unique things that educated psychologists bring to um, the work that we do and what is our understanding of that change process? So is there anything that you'd kind of um, unpack from, from those numbers for me? Cause obviously you've looked at them way more than I have. And it's just, it's something that just, it was a hot reflection for me. Okay. Well, I guess it, it, that, that, uh, that meta-analysis <clears throat> that Murphy and Duncan refer to just, um, shines the light on how important it is to make sure that um, we try and tap into and harness the strengths that people bring to the conversations that we're having with them, that we don't see them as empty vessels, that we try and work with them in, in such a way that it, it, um, it, it harnesses their own resources and strengths, because that is the single biggest factor that influences whether or not the helping relationship is successful. Mm -hmm. um, and so coaching is a, is a, is, um, is, 
uh, something that directly tries to directly tap into that. And the next biggest factor, as you mentioned, is uh, the collaborative alliance uh, or the client's experience of a positive collaborative alliance. So does the person feel that they've been heard? Does the person feel that they've been validated? Do they feel safe? Do they feel that the help has got their best interests at heart? Um, and it, and so those variables are even more important than any sort of technical skill and proficiency. And again, for me, coaching feeds directly into that because from the very beginning, we're trying to build that alliance with someone walking alongside them. And uh, again, to use that, use the term that Naomi used, we're uh, engaging in co-production with them about what is it that they want to achieve um, and how might they go about getting there. So I find that that, um, that that data about the factors that influence the effectiveness of helping relationships really really important in reminding us to make sure we attend to that, those crucial rapport building skills mm. and making sure we work with rather than do too because no matter how technically proficient we are at, um, at using some of the skills if we don't get that collaborative relationship right then they're not going to land and have the desired impact mm. yeah that, that, that's that's really interesting it's, it's that you know there's psychologies to all those factors and it's so important for us to understand the psychologies that might be underpinning those those four factors that, that murphy and duncan have mm. um brought up so in terms of you discuss some of the models and, and techniques that you might kind of bring to uh, enhanced understanding of that coaching relationship. You talked about um, cognitive behavioural coaching, was it? Yeah, yeah, uh, correct. And some other things. Is coaching psychology prescriptive about the sort of psychologies you can bring to it, like self-efficacy, or is it open to, I guess, the, the psychologist or the coach who's applying? Uh, exactly that exactly that latter point so it's it's very much open to the um uh, to the preferences um of, of that particular coach so yeah my own my own preferences are for um as mentioned solution focused cognitive behavioral motivational interviewing acceptance and commitment therapy others might choose to practice in a different way using more uh, existential approaches psychodynamic um there are a, a range of other possibilities that if anybody's interested the the book to look at would be um the edited collection by Stephen Palmer and Alison Whitebrow okay. called the handbook of coaching psychology um which is now on its second edition and that gives yeah. a an overview of the range of different approaches that can be that can be called upon so yeah i mean there's an opportunity to practice in a way that fits with one's own preferences and values and I'm, I'm really interested in hearing about how your own particular passion might cohere with coaching practice. Um, I mean, I know hope is the general theme of this podcast, but having read your paper, I know it's also a passion of yours in terms of how that theory can be translated into applied practice. Um, now, I'm sure the concept of hope is something that has meaning to all of us, but can you say a bit more about what hope is from a psychological perspective? Yeah, so I think hope theory really appeals to me initially because of its like simplicity and its um, it takes hope from just being a nice idea to something that you could kind of understand within practice. Okay. Um, so so Snyder argues that hope is your agency thoughts 
plus your pathway thinking. So how many different ways you can think of doing something towards your goals. Okay. And, and that's, that's his most simple um, application of, of what he calls hope theory. So with the, so with the Snyder model, there's two aspects to it. There's um, there's uh, the the uh, having pathways towards a goal, and um, also then uh, having confidence that you've got the skills that are going to be able to take you in that direction. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. yeah? Okay. Well, I I mean, and I can see clear links between the between that theory and coaching and coaching psychology mm. practice. I mean, it's almost like uh, coaching uh, d- directly feeds into that. Yes. Um, so for example, if we take the, take the pathway thinking um, uh, as a coach, what we're trying to do is get people to envisage the futures that they, that they want to achieve mm. and then consider different routes to try to get there as part of that, as part of that collaborative conversation. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a clear link with the, with the, um, with the pathway thinking. Mm. With, with the pathway thinking, would you use things like observation once you'd had your initial kind of consultation to reinforce pathways that are going on, or maybe think more creatively about them? You could do, yeah. If you like, if for example, you're working with a teacher to support them um, in moving towards particular goals as regards to the development of their practice, mm-hmm. then yeah, you could do a kind of solution-focused observation, look out for the things that seem to be helping that they may not have noticed, perhaps, and then get uh, yeah, encourage reflection on that in a in a subsequent um, in a subsequent conversation. So yeah, absolutely, that there, there would be um, there would be ways of helping them identify pathways that draw on their own successes, mm-hmm. um, which would also help with the agency element but then um coaching is also a collaborative conversation so um ideas can also come from the coach as well i mean this is one of the misconceptions of coaching that everything has to be drawn from the coachee in a kind of you know the answer is within you grasshopper um and it's and it's it's not that you know we, um, we can give more um to the conversation in terms of our own ideas and thoughts and that can help people um consider and explore other other pathways I mean, of course, they they then need to be left in a position where they make their own decisions about what they're going to do. So um, they feel a sense of, yeah, this is something that I'm choosing to do myself for reasons that that's, um, are important to me. But we can certainly contribute to broadening the um, thinking about what those pathways might be and in, in, indeed what those goals might be. Mm. With, with, the go- with the goals thing, then, I, I think uh, sometimes like in consultation perhaps even in interventions as a trainee I've found that often I go into a situation to work one-to-one with somebody or a group of people where the goal has been set for them right and what I'm, yeah. what I'm particularly with therapeutic interventions yeah. um, for children um, you know for example so I had had an experience of running a narrative therapy group for for boys who've been identified as having low self-esteem. Now, when I went to contract with them, none of them said they had low self-esteem. Right, so, I so see. Is, so, so, is the, so is coaching, um, and a unique part of coaching is that it's always between the, the coachee and, and the coach, the way that, that 
the goals are developed. I, I, I think that's absolutely crucial, Tim. And I think what you've what you've um, illustrated there is the, one of the dangers that we can encounter in our everyday practice is um, people's um, sense of agency being taken away from them by having goals set for them by other people. I mean, an, an analogy from my perspective would be um, being called in to work with a teacher uh, about their uh, about particular aspect of their behaviour management skills when they don't necessarily see that as an issue or they see it they see that they have another issue and that's why that um that uh, <clears throat> that contracting stage at the beginning of coaching is really crucial sometimes involving the commissioner and the participant as well in that three-way meeting to make sure we're all on the same page and there's um there's agreement that yeah these are goals that that, that um that are important to 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 both parties, if you like. Um, so coming back to that principle of, of, uh, of, of co-production that you that you discussed with Naomi. So yeah, I think coaching is a great vehicle for um, engaging people as active collaborators and making sure that they're on board with whatever goals are being worked towards. Mm. And I think that you know, coming back to the the Murphy and Duncan research that you um, that you referenced earlier, uh, that's one of those vital ingredients for achieving change that they're on board with the goals that they that they want to achieve, and we can then support them in thinking about uh, different options and pathways to help them to get there mm. yeah and I, th I think this is we're kind of touching upon something that i found like problematic with hope theory is that it doesn't really attend to who's setting the goal um it just talks about high hope and low hope individuals which right. is platform and context independent and uh, got, got i hope and low hope individuals as, as like it's a trait that's a trait that individuals mm. have and is independent of the context yeah yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, which, is, <laughs> which is confusing because when Snyder talks about school psychology, he talks about school psychologists um, trying to uh, help pupils to uh, develop agency thinking or pathway thinking, which suggests yeah. it's not high hope, low hope. It's it's contextual. So absolutely, that was and relational. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so come, so I mean, coming on to the 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 second part of of um, of Snyder's theory, then I mean, he, yes, he talks about the, the 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 first thing is the importance of pathway developing pathway thinking, so mm -hmm. helping people plan paths towards their goals but he also talks about uh, the importance of agency thinking um and so that's that people having that sense of yes i can move towards it and and again yeah i can see you know coaching feeds directly into that because you know we're we're trying to shine a light on people's own experience and resources and helping them see how that might be relevant to the goals that they want to achieve um, we want to enhance their sense of self-efficacy. So, um, again, but perhaps challenging self-limiting stories that they've got about themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and also, and it's a small practical thing, but I think really important um, in that we're helping people uh, plan how to move forward in small increments. So that the, the, there's that sense that, that that change is possible. That change is within my reach. Um, yeah. And uh, and I feel that, that that I can take that step. Um, so th th there's a number of ways there in which coaching, you know, it it, it feeds directly into both aspects of Snyder's Snyder's theory. It covers both the the pathway thinking and the agency thinking. So it does seem that there's a good correspondence mm. between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, 
it's it's made it's made me kind of think about kind of coaching practice as something which is really centered in that co-production and that being really important and that's quite in many ways you know in that we work in traded services quite a lot of the time that that's quite something distinct to offer from i guess consultation consultation or supervision or intervention um when we're working with individuals yeah, absolutely. It's, it very much brings that sense of working with and being a partner alongside someone. And um, uh, just from you know having this conversation, talking through the detail, you can get a sense of what that experience is like for people. Um, having someone come along and say, look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to walk alongside you, help you think of different ways you might try to achieve your goals and help you find skills to 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 achieve it um but i mean beyond that there is some actual evidence that um that coaching as an intervention uh, sort of directly impacts on um in hope in individuals okay. um there's a number of studies that um uh, that I'm, I'm not recalling from memory i've got them up on my screen here that uh, that um, susie green and her colleagues in australia did so in um in 2006, they looked at a coaching program for adults um, that provided cognitive behavioural solution focused life coaching. And they found that that was associated with significant increases in goal striving, well-being and hope, which was one of their explicit measures in the study. Um, they did something similar with high school students in 2007. And again, they found that the program, uh, the coaching program was again um, associated with what they say were significant increases in um, levels of hardiness and hope uh, and significant decreases in levels of depression. So again, a, a, a research link between coaching and hope. Mm. Um, and they, they say that uh, when they're discussing the findings from both of those studies, that um, it's the, it seems to be the, the, the combination of um, solution-focused cognitive behavioural coaching techniques that help participants to like determine possible possible pathways towards their goals mm. and, and tap into their resources and mm. feel that they can do it so there, there's there's there, there seems to be this clear link between slowness hope theory and coaching practice and and also some evidence to to support it yeah it, it sounds a, a bit to me when you're kind of referring to those findings and you know the evidence base around coaching psychology and, and hope is that that hope is almost a kind of like compound interest on the on the on the coaching relationship on the investment in in defining those things um how do you mean help me understand your point well, in terms of um someone might not be going into a coaching relationship to become explicitly more hopeful right but it is a secondary effect that they it's become the more authentic have more pathway thinking yeah yeah um, about it so well, I can, I can I can give an illustration of that actually. If it's sorry, if it's sorry to cut across you there, it's just um, uh, uh, something came to mind that it perfectly illustrates what you're saying. Um, I, this is a, a piece of feedback from a coachee with whom I did a. It was a short-term coaching engagement to help her to um, develop aspects of her teaching in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, there were some particular. Uh, features of her teaching that it, her 
in-school performance management procedures that had identified as being um, uh, unsatisfactory or inadequate. But you know, using the Ofsted criteria, there were there were some um, there were there were some things that really needed to be tightened up. So I went in, did a, performed a coaching relationship with her. The aim of it being to help her move towards these professional practice goals. Um, but then, if you listen to the feedback that she gave at the end of the engagement, I, I mean, I, I think you'll hear what you're saying about the enhanced hope being being a, a, another benefit of it. She said that um, this was the most positive experience of my teaching career so far. I felt that the coaching was focused completely on what I already did well and how that can be developed or used more so that I improve further. As the goals came from a very collaborative discussion and so were specific to me, I felt they were not only something I wanted to achieve, but something that I could achieve. Mm. Mm. And there in that final there in that final sentence, I think, you know, that is illustration of a of a, of a mm. sense of that person coming away with great hope that they can actually achieve the things then that they uh, that they set out to. Yeah. And I think I think that also alludes to sort of kind of unique contribution of that coaching relationship and it, it feeling so person centred and, and, and so containing of that situation, which is clearly a really stressful situation to go into. Yeah, absolutely. Especially at the beginning as well, you know, that uh, from that teacher's perspective, it's been identified through performance management that, um, that the aspects of a practice are not up to standard in certain ways. And then this person is going to come in and support you to move towards their standards. I mean, you can imagine that's the, 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 the emotional platform on, wh on which that relationship ta uh, begins is not necessarily comfortable. Um, so, and there's a lot of work to do to, um, to create that sense of working with rather than doing too and making that person feel safe um, um but there is something about psychology informed coaching i think that 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 makes that possible not not universally coaching isn't a panacea but um it, it's certainly a, a, a there are aspects of it that, that seem to be helpful for for the reasons discussed mm. Mm. i yeah, mean I, go, go ahead. ahead i was just gonna say that it, it kind of um that feedback is, is wonderfully illustrative of a, an idea that I've had about hope, which which um, kind of draws upon Height's idea um, at, at social intuition, um, where I kind of argue that hope is um, intuitive first. So you might have that emotional platform, which you're starting the, the coaching relationship on. Right. Uh, and talking about their specific goals rather than the performance management goals probably helps to um, form that relationship. Well, aligning the, aligning the two. So it's okay, these are the performance management goals. And now for you, uh, within those parameters, what would be a step towards those? Mm. Yeah. And then drawing upon, upon the kind of evidence base of hope throughout that process. So not yes. only what she has at the beginning of the process, but what she continues to amalgamate and accumulate across the, across the coaching relationship, across the time that you contracted to spend with her. And then thinking about the evidence base, uh, the experience base that she has for hope. Right. Uh, uh, so, you know, in, in the moment when you're going into to think about how you can coach her through, I guess, tuning, tightening up, um, those elements of her practice yes is not only it is i guess it's that helping things to be congruent between what the system needs and what the individual needs 
entirely all those three things entirely entirely and i think and i think but and i think what's coming through in our in our conversation here is um something that brings brings me on to a kind of criticism of snyder's mm. uh snyder's hope theory that, that that certainly i had when i when i looked at it and um it's uh, it's for this reason that I, I I hadn't really looked at it a lot in my practice, and it was only reading your paper when I when I came back to it and started thinking more about it. Um, the thing for me about Snyder's theory is he 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 articulates hope as being um, uh, so it's that combination of um, there's a goal uh, I want to move towards and I can see some pathways towards it, and I've got the and I've got the uh, and I be I believe that I've got the agency to be able to move towards it. Now I found that didn't really speak to me about hope when I um, when I read that in the um, in the in the I think it was the Handbook of Positive Psychology at first. Um, it didn't really sp it, it missed something about hope for me. There is because because hope isn't for me just about having a goal in mind and having some ideas about how to get there there's there's a, a an emotional aspect of hope that it's that snyder's definition seems to miss um it, it's almost a bit too mechanistic um and for that reason i thought actually you know that doesn't really speak to me and so i'm, I'm going to put that to one side and focus on other aspects of my practice but but what you've just been talking about in is it is it height hey is that am i am i saying it properly um, it, it sounds like that broadens the concept of hope a little beyond Snyder's theory to to um, to, to kind of address that criticism and and, mm -hmm. and make it make it make it a broader concept. Is have I understood yeah. that correctly? I mean, it, it's my application of Height's social intuitionism. So he argues that um, we are an emotional. He talks about the emotional dog with the rational tail. Right. Oh, 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 I love that. Yeah, so it's, it's, not the, it's not the tail wagging the dog. It's, yes. it's the emotions. Uh, and he say, you know, often we can over-rationalise yes. things. Yes. Of course, rationality is really important to a scientific way of thinking. Yes. But we have to understand the, the emotive side of it as well, yeah. which, make, which brings it into an ecological, relational um, concept, which hopes it's, I think, much more nicely within that that concept and i think the intuitive element the emotional element that you um kind of um illustrated with that example um kind of you know the the what i call intuitive hope um give us a kind of window a, a, a flavor of understanding of like this person's uh kind of sense of purpose within a role or purpose within life and how yes hope how how the goal that they set links up with that thing rather yeah. than it just being well there's an evidence space and experience space and it's just you know within school what's this you know the teacher's hopeful about becoming a better behavior manager whatever it is yes if you bring the the intuitive part in it of it, of it into it then you can really get an, a sense of am i understanding this person am i responding to to them appropriately beyond the bounds of the system that i'm working in Okay. Um, so it so it brings the individuals. Yeah. Well, it, I think what you said before, actually, I'm not going to go uh, hugely into an answer that. It's about just congruence between the system and, and the person, and that is so powerful. It's such a simple idea. Yes. Having that simplicity of understanding, you know, what the emotions that might be driving somebody in a goal-oriented piece of behaviour, which a lot of education can be seen in that way in size way of looking at it, but you put the intuitive element into it 
uh, and then you have something rather more profound uh, and I think hopeful, really. So I guess it sounds like what we're saying is that hope is a broader construct than mm. perhaps Snyder's simple but helpful model would yeah. would suggest. Um, and uh, I mean, it sounds like you've got some ideas there, drawing on uh, mm. a, a, other aspects of psychology that might that might might broaden it out and uh, and make it um, make it uh, 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 something richer for use in applied mm. practice. Yeah, I, I think it's that. I guess the way that I'm, as you're talking there, I'm thinking of a way of conceptualising the, the different types of hope theory and how we're broadening it. I guess the um, science hope theory is like kind of a very kind of simple map of how we might understand the concept within a situation. Yes. So to to enrich that that map and to make it meaningful for individuals and and for for systems yes. we need to really attend to a broader relational emotional element of it oh. rather than just it's a big flat on a page which i can rationally go through and go okay this is that that's that yes yes you know uh, and and it, yes it describes goal-oriented behavior and how someone might be more hopeful about one thing than the other or one person than the other person but really I think we've got to go and go go deeper and broader and locate those things in an emotional and relational context as well. Absolutely. And I think that that is the beginnings of my understanding of the power of hope in education psychology. Oh, fantastic. It it sounds like there's some, there's some writing and exploration to be done there to to bring those concepts together. Absolutely. And I I think what's really great about our conversation and the other conversations I have, have with other people is like, it gives me an idea of whether this resonates, but also before this conversation, I hadn't really read in depth or thought a lot about coaching psychology. Um, but now I can see it applied to EP practice. And yes, that's another hopeful string to, string to the bow. Yes. Um, uh, and, it, and it takes it out of its kind of 2D concept. Of, yes. Oh, this is what it is on paper, but I haven't seen anybody in the Northeast do that. Um, but this conversation has helped me to bring that thing alive and imagine it in reality. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's been really interesting for, for me to, um, discuss the detail of hope theory and how it relates to how it relates to psychology practice and also to discuss that notion of hope as a broader concept than, than Snyder originally proposed. I mean, I, I, um, I, I, I had a sense that, that, that your thinking was along those lines anyway, from having listened to the first po- first podcast with Joe, where um, you and he talked about that quote from Tony Ben, where um, hope, uh, I won't go through the full thing, but you know, hope is um, hope is a fire, and that to me is something that was missing from uh, from Snyder's definition. That, that that it may have been in there implicitly, but it it didn't seem to cover that um, that um, that emotional. Um, emotional driver or that emotional experience of hope but I think the the broader notion of hope that you've been talking about um, might might perhaps cover yeah I think through reflecting in my writing and my thinking about hope and then integrating and integrating those values which were in place way before I became a trainee educator and psychologist has allowed me to feel way more congruent about about this and also to as you say, with the coaching psychology approach, it's it's about incremental steps. 
Yes. And, and for me, every conversation about hope is an incremental step to a, to a broader understanding. Yes. And it's not, I am not the, the sole vehicle for hope in education or psychology, but I'm hoping that lots of other people can kind of pick it up and develop yes. the idea because yes. I think it's really important. And and for and for it to be kind of, almost a um, a universal concept that flows mm. through through um, a, a range of different educational psychology practices. I mean, you know, we've talked about how hope um, and coaching psychology integrate, and there is clear coherence between the two. And I th- and I think that the the two can clearly inform each other. Um, and um, I, and that well, that's clearly been uh, evident in the previous podcasts that you've done, and I'm I'm sure that'll be the case in other podcasts you do going forward as well i hope so okay so i'm i'm going to move us on to um some questions if that's okay um um, from anna who's a third year training education psychologist from southampton university okay Uh, and she has asked specifically you mark um can and should eps or teps engage in coaching directly with young people and if so when okay um so yes they can um it's not something that i've done a lot of myself so i'm not talking from personal experience here um i have done some coaching work with young people but you know very embryonic we're talking you can count the conversations on one hand um my work has mainly been with with staff or leaders um but there is some research on this Okay. So um, there are a couple of small-scale studies that were published in the International um, Coaching Psychology Review a few years ago that talked about coaching being used with at-risk young people, um, either on an individual level or on a, a group level, um, to to try to help them to achieve certain goals. And what they found was that that coaching led to say greater experience of positive emotion enhanced self-belief and confidence and a greater sense of control over their thoughts feelings and behavior so you know those were positive outcomes now those are very small scale studies um but nonetheless you know it 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 offers um offers some suggestion that coaching might be helpful to young people in those in those ways um i can give a case example of a colleague how a colleague of mine um worked with a year 11 pupil um, who was uh, experiencing anxiety and was struggling to attend school Uh, and this this had come up through the normal educational psychology casework. Um, Now that young person was uh, on a waiting list for support from CAMS but they were in year 11 and you know it was moving towards exam time and they were very reluctant to attend and so some timely support was needed so what my colleague did was set up a series of coaching sessions with that young person to support him in moving towards his goals that that were co-produced through their through their um through their conversation of attending exams and accessing a college place Mm. um so that was a young person who who was experiencing say clinical levels of of uh of distress say Mm. um but what my colleague wasn't providing was therapy uh, and it was okay. very clearly parametered that this was uh, a relationship designed to help him move towards some specific goals. 
and so um, coaching was something that was provided in a timely fashion um, but within very clear parameters amongst the other things that were that were happening for that person at that time and you you mentioned earlier about um, coaching people to coach or training people to coach yes it is, is and you mentioned kind of peer-to-peer stuff there yeah, yeah. Well, there's a paper by um, Christian Van Neuerberg and uh, Tong from 2013 where they talked about training um, sick formers in coaching skills mm. and noticing the benefits of that in terms of how they can help each other but also how it develops their own interpersonal skills mm. as well I just like that there's another example I can give about when EPs can work with young people as well because um I, I, I'd just like to preface it by saying that, you know, we could work with, in theory, we could work with any young person to support them in um, uh, in achieving goals. It, it's not, coaching isn't a remedial deficit intervention. It's not just something that's done for people who are struggling. Um, however, this is another example of where coaching was perhaps used in that way. And this was, um, this, this wasn't done by me. This was done by an EP, uh, who I was, who was part of a cohort where I was providing some training and coaching skills. And, um, on the third, I'd done three sessions for them over the year. And on the third session, this EP said that, um, they'd made use of coaching, supporting a young girl who was returning to school after, um, sadly a, a suicide attempt. And what uh, had happened was that the young person was receiving therapy from CAMS, Mm. um, but she wanted some support with some of the more day-to-day challenges, such as managing the social aspects of the return to school, managing managing the work, etc. And so that EP... um, what she said was now normally I, I I might have said oh I can't offer anything in that particular respect you know that needs to be that that needs to be cam support but they felt comfortable and confident to set up a carefully defined coaching relationship to provide that young person with so with with the support that they wanted the more practical day to day stuff so it was nice to hear that EP felt empowered to provide it so. Yes, it can be provided with young people. I think we need to be, as with any, as with the provision of any coaching relationship, I think we need to be very clear about the parameters of the relationship, the limits of our competence, what we can um, help people with, and also then within that, knowing where the limits of what we can do might might be reached and when we might need to say, actually, this is going beyond what I can do as a coach now and, and maybe we need to think about signposting you on to other other forms of support mm. Mm. yeah that's that's a really interesting and illustrative example of multi-agency work and how we can work with cams um which is something that, that i strongly feel is that, that that we can do is that we're, we're working towards similar things but helping yes. the day day to day and as social psychologists in that way that that makes us really helpful and valuable yes uh, beyond beyond diagnosis and and beyond kind of uh, other kind of consultative ways of working absolutely. So absolutely and even better if we can train people in schools to to provide these relationships mm. so that their capacity to to provide this internally grows mm. okay so i guess one last question i'd have about it is how do we how do you i guess at the moment how do you sustain the the, the, the impact that a coaching relationship could have 
Mm. Well, that um, that would that would obviously vary depending on the on the particular engagement. I think in any um, in any coaching relationship or conversation, what we're trying to do is not just help the person to um, solve their particular issue or achieve their particular goal, but I think we're also trying to leave them better equipped so they can do other stuff for themselves in future. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I talked earlier about the teacher uh, who I'd helped um, to address her anxiety about public speaking. So as part of that engagement, you know, there was some education, psychoeducation about cognitive behavioral psychology, the relationship between thoughts, feelings and behavior. What um, what some resilience undermining thoughts might look like alternative ways of thinking that might be more resilience enhancing and so that person was able to apply that to their present situation of I'm feeling anxious about talking to groups of staff but then they're also left with that knowledge of that particular framework um, so that they could then perhaps take it forward and apply it in other situations in their life. Um, There's also I guess something about sustainability in thinking how do we link with the person's broader context mm. so um you know if i'm supporting a teacher in a discreet um short-term engagement to support them with some behavior management skills say once that comes to an end what then happens in the organization to make sure those changes are not if any have happened but to make sure those changes are not lost you know, what other support mechanisms need to exist around that person um uh, so that that change can be greater sustained so there are two elements there it's how it what it's how we develop that person's problem solving or solution finding capacity um and it's also then what do we do with the broader organisation to support um, support um, changes to be sustained? And I guess that that's one thing that EPs were really, if we've got an existing relationship with the school, we're well placed to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and to kind of talk about, you know, every individual piece of work can feed into the system. So every individual work piece of work is systemic if it, if the feedback loops are aimed right. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. So so it's just like, what do we learn and how do we apply that somewhere else? And yes. it's slightly cause that the, the ripples of hope. Right. Um, I, you know, I'd like to think about EP scaffolding those ripples and ensuring that those ripples stay as kind of a um, pragmatic, transformative um, feature of our, our work and, and the work that schools can have as systems. Yes. Well, yes, absolutely. And I guess that what, what that's making me think of, as you say, that is just, just some caveats about coaching that I, I, that I think it would be important to, to be explicit about. And that is that um, coaching is often you know, focused on the individual or, or a group. We, we work with that person or we work with that team or group. And, you know, that's a good thing because that gives that person or that group individualized personal attention. Uh, and a space to, um, to to think through their situation, but we 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 need to also recognise that some issues that they're experiencing may also be influenced or maintained by other factors in their context. Mm. So we can't just go in and coach people as being completely separate from their surroundings and it's really important that we don't just think, okay, right, well that person's getting coaching, therefore 
we, you know, we don't we don't need to do anything else around them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for for example, um, there is a, 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 a recent uh, document by Weir about um, supporting well-being in schools, and it talks about the importance of having interventions at a range of levels, and so coaching could well be an intervention that is at the individual level some some support for people in that way but that doesn't mean that uh, you can uh, ignore the the need for the, the need for interventions at other levels of the system as well so it, it, it the key point i'm saying there is that it mustn't distract our attention from systemic issues mm. yeah so mark i was just wondering um whether we had anything else to add to this conversation, given that we're coming up to the time that we, we said that we would spend on this, this conversation, or do you have any kind of concluding uh, remarks? Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for um, uh, um, having me on the podcast, Tim, and giving, um, giving me the opportunity to talk with you about coaching psychology and hope and how the two might integrate. It's been, it's been really informative um and uh yeah there's uh, definitely been been something of a um something of a of a buzz about about thinking about the how those concepts might integrate yeah likewise and um, i'm certainly going to be looking to culture psychology as perhaps a unique string to my bow um when i go go back to kind of full-time practice uh in september um so excellent excellent exercising. Excellent. Well, all the best to you with that journey. And um, I look forward to seeing any writing that comes from you in future about this broader concept of hope and, uh, and how that might be translated into applied practice. Okay. Thanks, Mark.